Welcome to The Big F You. I'm your host, Erica Cantor. This is a show all about fucking up and failing up. I'll be interviewing comedians, artists, entrepreneurs, and generally speaking, people I find interesting about the early parts of their careers to learn how they fumbled their way into various measures of success. Today, I'm talking to Tal Rabinowitz, founder and CEO of The Den Meditation. Tal is also a former television exec. She ran the comedy department at NBC before becoming an energy guide, shamanic practitioner, and meditation and kundalini teacher. Today, Tal and I talk all about finding alignment in your career path, as well as her pivot out of a successful career in entertainment into the wellness space. I will preface this conversation by saying we do get a little woo-woo, mainly me. But I think that if you can stick with us through it, regardless of your beliefs, you're going to get a lot out of this conversation because we really talk about how to be brave through times of the unknown and go with the flow and to not force anything. Tall is someone who leads in life with a level of dynamism and lightness that I think we can all learn from. Please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Tall Rabinowitz. Hi, Tall. Welcome to the Big F U. Hello. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you here. I have been wanting to speak with you since the winter of 2021. (laughs) I was first introduced to the Den Meditation. And I was working a job in real estate at the time and started meditating at my desk. And I felt very unaligned during that period of my life. And I started doing some of the meditations just through the online courses. And it was insane how quickly everything in my life changed. Oh, I love that. I was fired from my job. (laughs) Probably the best thing, right? (laughs) (laughs) I was in a relationship that I ended, took a trip to Costa Rica, and started pursuing film and comedy full time within a quick three-month period, I felt this magnetic energy from within that I think can only be attributed to the fact that it started off in such a small way by like meditating. I mean, during lunch, but sometimes more than lunch. (laughs) No, but I mean, isn't that amazing? That's what I tell people. It's really the small things that make huge changes and energy is all of it. And when you change your own energy and how you're thinking and feeling, it's everything starts changing because that's what you're giving off and that's what you're changing. And then things don't feel right and things will fall, come to you, go away, whatever it is that's supposed to be in your field. So the minute you change your energy field, everything around you starts shifting. I think sometimes you don't know that you're unaligned until you slow down and pay attention to everything that's going on in your body physically and connect your mind and your body and your breath. Yeah. And we're not a society that was taught how to, you know, be and feel. And I, you know, I always find it amazing because like, look, I had a very corporate job and I'm a doer more than most. Like I can go, go, go. And I'm good at it. You know, it's like some people hate it. I'm good at it. So I can like click into that masculine, get it done energy in a really big way. However, when I really started getting you know, more in touch with myself after I opened up the den and was practicing more and then started teaching, 
I could feel the difference when I'd have to click into that mode of like, you got to get stuff done. Blah, 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 blah. And sometimes, look, I was running a company, I'd have to do it. But the difference was, I was like, wow, I could still do it. I can get it all done exactly as effective as I was before, but I can feel that I don't love it all the time. Like for the first time ever, I was like, my body could tell like, this is unaligned. It doesn't mean I'm not good at it. It doesn't mean I won't be effective doing it, but it is unaligned. Is what you're discussing the hustle of having to labor insane hours to make something happen? Yeah. And I think we all know when you have a big project or you have a ton of stuff going on, some people crumble and that's okay. Cause it's most people should not live that way. Some of us, like when you're running big jobs, thrive in that. Like I actually could thrive in it. I did really well. I was very successful because I could thrive in that insanity. It's how I could, you know, open up the den and then multiples too, because I thrive in almost organizing that chaos. However, just because you do well in it does not mean it's aligned for you and does not mean it's healthy for you and does not mean that's how you have to be to get things done. And so the difference I was noticing is I could click in, you know, 2020 is a perfect example you know, when the pandemic hit, I had to basically recreate the business. And so the energy of which I had to live within again was like startup energy. And anyone out there who's listening, who's ever, you know, been part of a startup or is trying to start their own business, it's a lot, you know, and you kind of, it's all in all the time. And it's that energy you and I are talking about now. And I had to click back into it. And it was like me and my assistant up barely sleeping for like five days, rearranging the entire, you know, business to get online and create it. And I remember then being like, I can do it and I'll get this done and we'll get it done. And there were elements of familiarity of like, Ooh, I remember how this feels like just be in this go, go, go. I didn't like it anymore. That was the difference. It was more like, I can tell this is not healthy for me versus before I would never have known it wasn't healthy. I would have just been like, whatever, I can do it. I'm good. Now I can feel it. I'm like, this is not healthy for me. This is not the proper way to be effective. Thank God I knew it was a short period for that one, but I wouldn't do it long-term anymore. I would find different ways to use my energy. I'd find different ways to execute the same thing because I, I can feel to your earlier point, this is unaligned, even though I'm doing the same exact things. What do you mean by different ways to do the same thing? I teach this class, Journey Around the Medicine Wheel. And one of my favorite things to teach in it is the direction of the Jaguar, because you go around with all these, you know, the archetypes. And in the Jaguar, you learn kind of to go with the flow. You learn to allow time to be its own thing. We all know that expression, pushing the boulder up the hill. And anyone who's, especially in entertainment, who's listening, that's what we do. You push boulders up the hill constantly. The hill gets higher and taller, right? And the boulders get heavier and we feel better because we're pushing them easier, right? We just learn how to push them. And one of the things you learn is like, no, you shouldn't have to push a boulder up the hill. How can you direct your energy where things are just naturally flowing? So then you can just like tap it and the boulder rolls exactly where it's supposed to go. And I've really learned with time, for instance, one of the hustle parts is I have to get this done and then this done and then this done. So blah, 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 right? And I'm a very good multitasker. So that is easier for me than most people because I can quickly go through 10 things, which for some people that'd be like, ah, I need weeks to figure out how to get it done. So for instance, th today is a perfect example. I was telling you, I was doing some work. We got in late and you know my daughter's off on a ski mountain right now and her teacher you know texted me to be like she doesn't have her ski lift ticket like what the hell <laughs> and i realized not only did i forget to give her her ski lift ticket i forgot to take them here to where we are not only hers but mine and my husband's i just forgot them because i had a lot going on simultaneously knowing our podcast was starting in like 5 minutes and now i have to figure <laughs> out 
how am I like, I never even looked like, how are we communicating? We hadn't confirmed. Like, am I, how do I now find to get these passes? Where do I go? I don't have a car yet. And now the difference is where that might've made me before go, oh my God, how am I going to do it? And I might've stressed out. I still would have gotten it done. I just literally, I take a breath and I'm like, ah, it'll all work out exactly. I will get this all done exactly at the time it needs to get done. And I know that's true because I have this new faith in time, me not having to push things to make things work, me having this trust that things weirdly work. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that just sit around, everything happens thing. I'm talking about just trusting that there's no need to panic because it all happens. So I was like, okay. And I just took like a breath and I texted the teacher. I'm like, let me get on it. I find, you know, I quickly somehow find the quickest way to get in touch with these pass holders. I find out the information I need. Simultaneously, I'm trying to figure out what to do with you. And I was having a little bit of trouble. My partner was doing a podcast at the same time. So he, I mean, everything was, my point is everything was not feeling aligned, but I was like, it'll all be fine. Like I go up, I find the space. He shows up with the microphone, literally the second before I'm about to click in. And as I'm struggling, cause it's not jumping on Chrome. I'm just like, it'll work out. I think I was one minute late maybe. So in what would have 10 minutes ago seemed like there's no way this podcast is happening on time. I'm going to have to text her. There's no way it's going to at least be a 30 minute delay because I have all this to do. Just for your own edification, I am flexi Lexi. <laughs> But my point is I wasn't stressed about it. I knew it was going to be fine. I was like, and since since I've changed this relationship with momentum and changed this relationship with energy, it's really shifted my trust with knowing. So for instance, there's times I'm up at night, like if I'm preparing for my own podcast or I have a book to do, or I have to prepare a class and I'm so tired and I look at my schedule the next day and I'm like, I do not have a hole to get that stuff done before I need to execute. I have to stay up. In the past, I would have somehow stayed up. Now I'm like, it'll all figure itself out. A time will make itself available and I'll go to bed. And sure enough, I'm not kidding. Something cancels, something shifts, something ends early. And I now just trust that I know everything's going to happen. I can't explain it. So it's a, that comes with practice and that comes with what you're talking about. But that is when you ask me like, how do you do it differently? So it's not that I'm not executing. There's less freneticism is probably a way to say it. And an understanding that the flow, if I ride it, will take me to all the destinations I need to go. You're speaking to my soul right now. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so to backtrack a little bit. Yeah. Something that you said about the Jaguar. I'd like to share an experience I had because Something else that I I started doing and I continue to do this, I think this is kind of my main access point to meditation at this point is YouTube. And I started doing these YouTube meditations in addition to access the Akashic records and spiritual guides. And I remember in February of 2021, I did a meditation to meet my animal guides. Mm. And I was met with a black jaguar with these beady, beady green eyes. We were playing in the jungle. I think it was maybe after I had gone to Costa Rica and was with a friend who's very spiritually connected. And I returned and I had this experience and I was so blown away by it that I was met with this jaguar. 
a week later, I'm on a film set, on a short film set, and I was ADing for some friends. For those of you who don't know, that's assistant directing. And I'm not kidding you, on three separate occasions that weekend, I saw a black cat with green eyes. Yeah. And there was a black cat with green eyes as, as the film set is wrapping that walked into the patio of my house. Ooh. Freaked me out. So I like ran inside and everyone was picking up the gear and moving shit. And I was like, holy shit, this is a, this is a little bit too much for me at this moment in time. Like, I don't know what's happening, but like I had that experience where I was visualizing myself with this Jaguar and we were literally like jumping through the vines of a jungle together. My body was like insanely fit in a jungle Amazonian sense. Like I, it was some Tarzan level shit or something, Love it. but it's so interesting to hear you talk about it in this way that really what it has to do with is allowing. And Jaguar is really interesting. So A, I always say, Spirit animals are amazing. Some are temporary. Some come in to help you through something or a time of your life. And some are yours. It sounds like this may be yours that you keep forever. And the jaguar is super powerful. And it represents a lot of things. A, one here we're talking about allowing, like you just said. But you know, the jaguar is like the king of the jungle. It has no predators. And so we say, it's like, how can you be a luminous you know, warrior like the jaguar, where you're walking lightly, you're treading lightly on this earth with your feet, where you have no enemies, no enemies to speak of because you don't need them. And that's part of allowing and flow when you get to this place in life of not living in fear, because that's a big part of the jaguar, not living in fear, letting fear disappear, understanding. We always say a jaguar looks, you know, death in the eyes and is okay because it knows it's just part of a cycle. cycle. Uh, yes. And so like the jaguar is such a beautiful remembrance of the cycle or remembrance of our emotional bodies, cluing us into something bigger, but allowing it's the Jaguar is very powerful. I love that you got the Jaguar, but you really want to be able to look at that Jaguar and say, how can I be fearless? How can I walk fearlessly in the jungle of life? How can I not be stuck down in all these things. It's like, and again, like I said, the boulder up the hill is part of the Jaguar. It's not pushing so hard, not working so hard, trusting that the elements are there for you to work with. And it sounds like if everything started to align, when you start to really work with that energy, it's beautiful. When you go around the wheel, you start with the serpent, which is really more physical and a little heavier. And so when you get to the jaguar, you start to lighten up a bit. It's tracking, it's understanding your emotions, it's understanding what you need. It's a, it's a really beautiful, beautiful archetype. Yeah. It's so interesting too, because I feel like I've, I mean, I'm curious what your perspective on this is. I think for me, I've come in and out of touch with it. Mm -hmm. I think most recently something I've been dealing with is that I really overcommit myself. You know, I have 10 to 15 different plates spinning at all times. And I feel like they're all super important priorities. And I think something that meditation and yoga has helped me do is slow down and really focus on like, okay, this is number one. Number yeah. one is that I have a job that I really like. That's first and foremost, the priority. And then once I get to managing my own creative and artistic endeavors, 
with this podcast, I sometimes get that frenetic feeling and have to slow down and remind myself that it's all going to happen in the way that it's supposed to happen and in the timeline that it's supposed to happen. And even though I try and superimpose my own expectations and deadlines, sometimes those things are just going to flow in a different way than what I anticipated. And that's okay. Yeah. Well, there's a few things that a, I find the more open you are, things do flow differently than you anticipate, but usually better Mm -hmm. um, because we limit ourselves too much because we don't have the capacity to actually see what we're capable of. We don't have the capacity of seeing the possibilities. So if we try and limit how we want something to look, think about how tiny that's going to be because we're only using what our brain space and our emotional space and our limited capacity can create. So I always find when you can back off of that, you get more. Now think about that jaguar. The jaguar is going to lie on that hot rock with its tail like thumping down on the ground and it's going to take naps and it's going to stretch and it's always going to be alert. It's always going to know what's going on. And if something seems scary, you know, which most of us might be like, all right, let's not go down that aisle. It'll walk down that dark path, take a look, check it out. You know, what I love about what you're saying, which I think aligns with the jaguar is the jaguar is also about your shadow. It's about the parts of you that we deem, you know, not our best parts. We deem, sometimes we ignore them entirely. Sometimes we're ashamed of them. Sometimes we're like, oh, it's always going to prevent us. So I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. The jaguar is all about the shadow. The jaguar walks into the shadows of the jungle, right? Like you were playing in the jungle. It walks deep into that jungle, looks in the darkness and it's fine. It sees, it sees it all. It knows what it's all supposed to be. So what a beautiful part of you to start recognizing I overschedule, I overcommit. Like that's part of your shadow, right? And the ability to start seeing it and be that jaguar to allow it to just be. Because then what's the beautiful part of it? There's a beautiful part that you're probably a multitasker, which is fantastic, right? And allows things to be at ease in other ways that might for other people be really difficult and stump them. You know, you are probably social, I'm guessing. So you really enjoy being with people. You know, those are beautiful parts of that shadow. The question is, how do you then Embrace the shadow so you work with it and know it. How can you become that jaguar and know that those things will be fine? They'll happen when they need to happen. I can lie here in this heat on the rock with my, you know, tail thumping and it'll all be okay. And I'll hunt when I need to hunt. I'll hunt when I need to hunt. Yeah. That's very well said. I think it's also about interrogating the underlying values that lead to that frenetic feeling. Yeah. You know? Have you done that? I'm (laughs) trying. (laughs) It's a journey. I think living in Los Angeles. Yes. This age where I'm 24 years old and there's people who are, I mean, I think one way that we measure ourselves in this country is by how much money we're making. And it's really fucked up. Mm-hmm. for a gazillion and one reasons. But like, I think that that is a measure that I use and in, on myself and whether that's right or wrong, and it's definitely wrong, adds pressure. I think also there's just a lot of freaking successful people around me who are doing a lot of things. <laughs> so when and- you, when you think of the idea, like if you close your eyes and you think of the idea of feeling less than others financially or 
job-wise? Where do you feel it in your body? I think it's in my heart. Yeah, I was going to say, I can feel it in your heart too. So if it's in your heart, so you breathe there. And then the, the way you do those questions is like you sit and you just breathe and you allow yourself to feel that heart. And you know now this is an energetic thing. It's not always just like, oh, I care about money. It starts from somewhere, whether you brought it in from a past life, whether it's from your childhood, it the energy starts. And so I always recommend just sit with that feeling. It'll get worse in the beginning when you first sit with it because then you're allowing it to be. And you let it just be. And you just say like in your head, like, I feel you, I see you, like, and just let it be. And then ask yourself, what does this remind me of? What does this feeling remind me of? And look, sometimes it takes a little longer. Sometimes right away, memories come up where you might feel yourself as a kid feeling this way. And you can start really energetically, you know, pulling it apart because they're like big, like energetic, like shithole. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's there. Sometimes you need more work than that. But when you can really start, first of all, allowing the energy to be seen, like we just did and feeling it, right then it already dissipates. All they want to do, all your feelings, your deeper emotions. And the reason I say feelings is because those are the things we stuff to the side and then they become the ways we think. They become the patterns of how we act. So how you're saying, so now I compare and contrast. I know it's not right, but I do it. So whether it's I use money as my barometer, whether I'm using people more successful than me as my barometer, I am comparing contrasting, right? And so it's A, how can we get to the energetic part of why you compare and contrast so we can also start making moves? Because we can sometimes analyze our shit to death, right? We can sometimes, you can go to therapy. I'm all for therapy, by the way. I'm not saying I'm not. I love therapy. But what happens is a lot of times, and you'll see who out there has been to the same therapist for like 10 years, probably not your best therapist for you, or you've outgrown it for now. Um, maybe they were amazing for you at one point. If you keep just talking about the same shit over and over and over again, you're just bringing more energy to the problem. How can you get to the actual energetic core and start dismantling it? You know what I mean? And so I love analyzing. I mean, I am all mercury. I have so much like head shit. So I think a lot. So I'm not anti. That's why I feel like I'm one of the most practical people you can work with because I'm not a, oh, you just get into the headspace and life yeah. is great. I get it. Like my brain works fast. I'm very heady. I love to analyze. I love to think. And I do think you we can use our brains in this human incarnation to help us. Like, let's understand why we behave a certain way. Let's start bringing awareness to our feeling less than, but then at a certain point you have to energetically work on it. Yeah. I think that's been a focus for me recently is like, overall, I think the focus of me this year is that I think I've been confronting deep insecurity and overcoming that in whatever way I can. Yeah. Um, And I think a lot of it is energetic. I'm curious Well, first of all, are you in therapy? It's funny. I just recently started again and I'm debating if it's, this is one's right for me or not. I'm a very, very, I think a lot. So I have to have a very good therapist who can like get, which is tricky for me because I've kind of already, and I do so much work that, um, but I do love therapy. So, and I, like I said, I go in and out of it. I think it's really smart, but I just, I, I really implore people to check how long you've been with the same therapist, what you're talking about when you go in there. By the way, if you just want to go in and chat and someone's listening to you, fantastic. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. If you're going in to solve some bigger problems and you've been trying to solve these bigger problems for quite a long time, move on and try other stuff or get a different therapist and try other stuff. But I do feel like the problem is we don't remove stuff energetically. We just talk about it. 
I want to get into some of the career stuff. So sure. I'll tell you that that's where we're heading. But I'm curious, it seems to me like you've always been fairly level-headed and fairly go with the flow. And I'm yes. curious what values you feel like have kept you grounded through so many ups and downs that you've faced. Okay. I think it's a great question. Well, I used to work in entertainment. So just so people know, so I'm very, I understand what entertainment can be like. I had very crazy jobs there, loved it. Um, I was very lucky. I did really well. So I get what that world is. So in that world, I think one of the things that I brought that really helped me was this constant idea of, and it goes a little bit to what you're talking about now, nobody is better or worse than the other person. So the person who was dropping off the mail on my desk versus the actor who walked in the room to me, they were the same. Like, are you nice? Are you not nice? Can we have a conversation? Can we not have a conversation? We're all doing jobs. So when you're on set from craft services to the PAs, to the actors, to the producers, we're all just operating in roles. So the actor's role is literally a job and they just happen to have the job that people see and get excited about, but it's still just the job. And I think for me, that was very helpful in entertainment because like I said, I have really long-standing friendships from it. I think I always treated people as such, which also means like if there was a famous actor that I thought was a total dick, they probably did not become my best friend. We would do the job, but that was it. But it's, and I think it helped as far as respect too, even when I, as I rose up the ranks and I don't know who knows, maybe someone would say it was different. I'm sure there's always moments where we have asshole moments, but in general, I feel that I always had a really good rapport with anyone, like depending, you know, I'm still in touch with all my assistants, you know, cause they were great. They're awesome. It's just, I was an assistant. Like we're all just doing jobs and it's like, what do you get out of that job? What pride do you take in that job? You know, to me, it's like, if you don't work hard, I don't care if you're my boss or if you're low, that's what would be frustrating to me, but it had nothing to do with level. So that was one value that I think was important. And I, and that really is a huge one because it's also, how are you kind to people? How do you not take yourself too seriously? When I was running comedy at NBC and everyone's like, oh my God, oh my God. I was like, it's a chair for rent. This is a job where it's a chair for rent. And anyone who gets too attached to these jobs, as we all know, because we all get fired, it's like, you know, a carousel, especially in entertainment. And I felt like that really helped me too. And frankly, when I chose to leave, I didn't have any crazy identity crises. You know, a lot of people in entertainment, because it's, this job that is so known in the entire world. It's very rare to have a job that every single person in the world can kind of look to in awe. You know what I mean? It's rare. So you, there's a lot of ego wrapped around it. And I feel like that really helped me that I never, ever attach myself to really any job. So you started meditating while you were in that exact position at NBC. Yes. And I'm curious did that play a role in your unattachment to that position and that kind of lack of ego, do you think? Do you think if you hadn't been meditating, maybe you would have held on to it a little bit more? Yes and no. I do think I, I said that the minute I got the job. So that was premeditating. I was very aware that every job we got, especially those higher level jobs, I was very fortunate, which is going to be a funny statement. I worked at the WB in comedy. It was my first executive job. So much fun. Warner Great. Brothers, right. Part. Huh? Warner Brothers. 
Yeah, well, it was the WB at the time. It was a network that no longer exists. It kind of became the CW. So it was a network job. So fun. I mean, that's where like Felicity was and, you know, Dawson's Creek. We had Reba. We had What I Like About You. It was just such a fun network, younger. It was a blast. So the WB was going away. We didn't know that, but that's what was happening behind the scenes. They were getting rid of basically comedy. And then the drama portion became the CW, which is Mm -hmm. also now going away, I think. But we didn't know any of that. But behind the scenes, they finally, we knew something was happening. They basically fired so many of us. And I always joke, like, if we were on a plane and it went down, nobody would have even known I died because I was like one of the lower level execs and they fired everyone. It was like (laughs) casting, head of this, head of that. I mean, everyone got fired. But my point being, I was part of those layoffs early in my career. And I think it was the best thing. A, I was young enough where I wasn't stressed about it. I was like, I'm at the perfect position because I was a good exec and I was ready to jump to like a VP role. And there were just more of those jobs. So I knew I was going to be fine. I was, I was literally like, let me take my severance. I'm going to Vietnam. I dragged my boss with me. I'm like, let's just go have some fun. I, I was with your boss. She and I were very close. And I was like, she wasn't as big of a traveler. She runs comedy at Netflix now, Tracy Picosta. She wasn't a big traveler. So I'm like, you're coming with me. And we had so much fun. I joke like WB comedy department on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. It was really funny. But I remember what it was like. I remember those days of everyone waiting if you're getting the phone call or not. I think the most humiliating thing during those times is wondering who knew and for how long. So how many, how many meetings have I walked in no. And by the way, it affected me the least. Imagine if you were running that department, how many meetings have I walked in to do my job and they knew they were firing me in two weeks or three weeks, whatever yeah. it was. So what it allowed me was a, these jobs are all for rent. Like we all lose our jobs at an early time in my career. B, I really knew, I knew how other people were feeling as they lost their job. I mean, like every one of my friends at some point, you know, or not even my friends, if anyone I know was part of a shakeup, I almost always got in touch to be like, how are you? Don't like this and that, blah, 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 because I knew what it was like. So I was really grateful. And I think that really helped to answer your question more than the meditating. Now, the meditating for me, I'm going to get woo-woo, was more, oh, it yeah. allowed me to make my transition. I could feel in my soul early when I started that job in NBC that I was like, and I couldn't quite figure out, is it just I'm not as happy at a network versus a studio? Because I was at Sony for years before that. And I really loved the creative part of like selling and stuff and working from the shows from the base, the bottom, the network, you lose a little bit of that, but it's fun also. So I couldn't tell, am I just a little bit disenchanted with the network side versus that? But I, I, look, you can feel when you're alignment, whether people realize it or not, back to our first statement on this. You may not understand how to feel disalignment, but you know, I can tell you what it looked like now for me, even though I didn't understand it. It looked like me being really annoyed quickly about a lot of things. Very reactive. Very reactive. Me getting really frustrated with my boss, like annoyed about stuff. Like in hindsight, I'm like, "Mm, I could have been way more chill about that. Like, you know, I just wasn't happy. And so things, like you said, were making me more reactive. I was more frustrated. I like the things I used to love felt more like a chore, you know, having to do certain things felt heavier. Like, you know, when you're like, you feel like you really have to step into whatever role you're, you normally play. That's an alignment. Now, most of us just then blame our bosses. We blame our jobs. We blame like, oh, my boss sucks. My Right. And my point is how many jobs have you gone to where your boss sucks? How many jobs have you gone to that your coworkers suck? Like how many, t- when are you going to start looking at yourself instead of constantly looking around at everyone and being like, because by the way, I had enough reasoning where I could tell you this is what sucked, this is what sucked. But ultimately my alignment was off. 
And so when that job ended and I knew it, like my boss there and I get along great because of that reason, because there was no blame. I was like, it was time. But so what meditation did for me was really create. And what it was doing for me on the woo-woo side was putting in the energy and the idea of what I was meant to do at that time of my life, which is really bring this world, this area, this entertainment area more into meditation. It's like, how can we have this easier access, which now it's everywhere. I mean, right. It's like you said, you go on a YouTube like that now. And that's really what the meditation did for me. It started putting that idea in, which I could not shake. Like we need a drop-in studio. How do you do this? How would you do it? And that's where it eventually took me. And yes, did it help me keep calm in a very tough time. My last year there was difficult. Not only was the job hard, I was going through a lot of medical stuff. I was going through a divorce. I mean, it's emotionally as taxing as one could be in their life. Like everything was falling apart. And I think the meditation really was my saving grace because other people probably would have had a nervous breakdown. (laughs) Do you feel at all like the meditation is almost what caused that big shakeup? For me, I now look back And retrospectively, when I think back to that time in 2021, I'm like, I was just becoming aligned. But the truth is, is that at the time, it was like everything was falling apart. Like I had lost my job, the end of a relationship, you know, I was having roommate troubles and a gazillion and one different things were going on at once. And I was just like treading water. But I think ultimately... It was almost what had to happen in order to get me to where I am now. Yes. I feel like I say that all the time. If you're not on your right path and you're not listening to yourself, we can all feel the unalignment. We just don't recognize it. So it starts getting worse, like heaviness, anger, reaction, whatever it is. It's like, if you're not listening to yourself and just taking, making the moves proactively, shit will just pile up until it falls apart. And that's what happened. Sounds like that's what happened to you. And that's what was happening with me too. My relationship, my health, everything was just starting to fall apart. And then my job, I was okay with it, but I just had to get through it. Now you have to remember my order of things was interesting. I was already very deep into like spiritual work. It's just, I wasn't necessarily a meditator because meditating wasn't as common. So I was already like woo woo as woo woo could get, you know what I mean? Spiritual work. Yeah. I, I can't even say like, I would do a lot of it's like funny in the past, like things that I've learned in this community, I'm like, oh, I always kind of did that. It's like, I naturally was doing some of that stuff. Yeah. You know, I could, I was a good breather. That's gotten a lot better, much better since I've really understood it. I was very mindful. I have to say that. And I loved like past life stuff. You know, I was already kind of dabbling in all of that stuff, past lives and energy work. So I wasn't necessarily doing it for my, but I would, I would go to energy work a lot. So I was already like shifting energy, if that makes sense, before the idea of meditation popped in my head. And again, you have to remember this was over 10 years ago. It's just, it wasn't as of a common thing where you're like, oh, I should learn to meditate. People are like, what? Huh? Like that. It's just, hence when the den opened, people were like, you're, you're opening what? What is that? Do you think people are going to use it? I mean, it really... Within one year of opening the den, it changed. By the time the den even opened, it had already changed. People who now, especially the younger generation, aren't even going to understand when I say like meditation was this like weird thing people did in like monasteries. And that was part of my thing was like, how can I, I was already doing Kundalini. I did a lot of Kundalini. I was doing that on my own. So I was already doing a lot of energy work, just not straight meditation. So that stuff was already kind of in the process for me. The meditation, I think really saved me 
from just getting through it. Honestly, when you're in those times of your life where everything's falling apart, it's just like a lifeline. It doesn't make everything feel great. It keeps you afloat. Yeah. And I think it just kind of allows you to sit at the center of the storm while everything swirls out around you. You know, whatever you believe in, whether you believe in like God or gurus or nothing, maybe it's like a science or there's, I always say when people are like, no, I don't believe in anything. It's like, you probably are, you talk to something in the back of your head. Maybe someone's passed for you. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's your mom, your dad, a best friend. But I feel like everyone talks to something on the back of their head, whether they're aware of it or not. I would say something that's so effective if you're just starting this area and, or like you're just starting to meditate is talk to them. Some people say it's praying. It's whatever works for you. You will really be surprised what starts to align and how it shifts. Just even allowing yourself the openness of a vibration that is more than you are will start shifting everything. And that is such an easy place to start. Breathing and talking, not even out loud. You don't even have to do it out loud, though you can. I mean, I've done it out loud. I've done it quietly. Just start having conversations with whatever it is you believe in. It could even just be a picture of a map, like the outside universe in your head. Ask for what you need. Ask for guidance. You you start bridging that gap and everything becomes a possibility. Yeah. And it, it, it could feel so silly, but it definitely changes your mind when you are speaking to something that's bigger than yourself. Yeah. I'm it's curious. kind of huge. I'm curious what it was like for you when you first actually started the business. Mm. So <laughs> I'm kind of curious about the nitty gritty of like literally finding a location and talking to different realtors. Cause previously you hadn't had experience in this and no, so no. you had to learn everything either on the fly or like doing your research. And I'm just curious what that looked like. Yeah. So I had the idea for a while. Like I said, I had it even when I was still in NBC. When that job ended, I wanted to take some time off. And then I think it was like six months into that. I finally was like, all right. I, and I would be getting job offers. It was funny. I would still be getting job offers. And I was like, no, I'm still taking time. And I finally- And people gave you flack for taking time, right? Yes. I it was hilarious. Nobody understood it. It was so funny. We've um, values here. <laughs> yeah. One person, it was so funny, who was so sweet, offered me a job right away. Well, no, not even right away, a few weeks afterwards. And I said, no, 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 I'm taking minimum a few months off, if not six. And they were like, okay, if the job's still available, we'll get in touch then. I'm like, great. And then three, like two weeks passed and they call again. I'm like, no, I said minimum three months. And they were like, oh, we thought you meant like a Jewish three months. Like it, you weren't really going to do it. Like they really were like, we didn't think you were really going to do it. People could not wrap their head around me being comfortable taking the chance that I might get forgotten. Yeah. But that is the ego part of the business is if you don't jump into your next thing, you get forgotten. I remember like when it was first going down, I was talking to my old bosses at Sony and they were like, come on, we can get you this, this. I'm like, I'm and one of them knew me so well. He's like, you're going to take time, aren't you? You're actually going to do it. And, and you know what? I get more comments and more people from the business get in touch with me more to be like, how did you do it? How did you change? Like people get very stuck. They feel very stuck in their jobs, whether it's entertainment or anything, because they're just so afraid of making the shifts. And again, it's all about trust. So I took some time off when I decided I'd been like, and I would take moments like, I'd be like, okay, if I was going to do this, what do I need to know? I mean, that's where I started because like you said, it was all new to me. I'd never opened a business, especially like a mom and pop, a place like, you know, brick and mortar that you actually had to show up to. I'm like, what do I need to know? 
and what do I need? So I just started making lists of like, here's what I want it to be. And then from there, I would say all the things that are needed. So whether it be a location and then from the location, it was like, find the location, realtor, question mark, you know, money, question mark, whatever it is, then it would be like, you know, create the business. And then at that point, I really knew nothing. It was like, talk to blah, blah, blah. What do you need? Is it a tax ID number? Is it this? What do you need to actually start a business? So for me, that was the beginning because I knew nothing. Yeah. Be things like name this. I want it to be that like everything, teachers, programming, probably software. And then that list got more detailed. And then I, after I did a list, I started writing, what are the action items I can start doing? And what are the things I need to learn? What are my questions? And do I need to learn by talking to people or can I look stuff up? And I just started doing all of it, just researching more, talking to people to answer kind of all the questions I had. And then it was funny. Like I just did little by little when I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I remember working on the name and I remember then being like, I think I need a lawyer. And then I got a lawyer, my entertainment lawyer gave me an IP lawyer. So like it's, you know, it all, it all went. And I remember exactly where I was. I was doing a road trip when he, when I get, when I got on the phone with him and told him, this is what I think, can you look it up? And he was like, oh, it's clear. It was actually a big moment. I remember that. And I saved getting my tax ID in my like business number, all of that I saved until I was really like, okay, I'm going to do this because I knew my personality. I was like, the minute I actually get like a business account going, I know me, this is going to open up and be, it's going to go fast versus some people could be years. I'm like, I know me, this will be fast. So I need to be ready to commit. So I just kind of kept pushing it off until finally, when I said, I'm ready. I remember I called my tax guy, got all that set and And then it started rolling. I started moving quickly. I mean, then I just started really researching, like meeting every teacher I possibly could. Now, again, you have to remember, this is not a time when you could just, you know, flip a coin and it would land on a teacher's toes. I had to really like find and research because it just wasn't as prevalent. And so I was like going to random places to like, to the most random like meetups. It was actually really fun. I found a real no, I found the space myself. I'd been driving by it and she ended up being my realtor for Studio City and she's a good friend now, but she represented the space. She's awesome. So if anyone needs, let me know. She represented the space, but I found it myself, got in touch with her and she showed me. And frankly, honestly, the fact that I got that too, this place was meant to be because I was up against an established business. I think it was like a bridal company that already was an established business that could prove they weren't going to fail. Not only had I never done it, the business itself was new. So they couldn't even be like, oh, she's opening up a coffee shop. Okay. She's never done it, but we know coffee shops will work. There was no history. So these people, I mean, literally they were like, we like you. We're taking a chance. I mean, it was a huge deal, huge deal. And what did it look like to build an audience? You know, that's where my entertainment stuff really came in handy. I was a creative exec. So you kind of have your hands in everything. You're basically a producer and that really helped. So back then I sent out kind of gift baskets to all people like in entertainment that I knew to get the word going. I did like a little opening party. I got a lot of press. Our location was great. And frankly, I think we opened our doors for two weeks free because nobody even knew what the hell it was. And was this the Studio City location or the- No, Brea. Okay. It was a good location. Look, I even remember the day we opened up the door, our signage wasn't ready. So I had to like think quickly. And if you still drive by on the window, you see Den Meditation written on the window. All of our, rest of our signage is there. 
even though it's closed down, but on the window. And it, I giggle every time I see it because I'm like, that was me finding a window painter last minute to be like, we have no signage. I need you to write this on the window. She's like, it'll last like a month. I'm like, great. And now it's, I don't know how many years later, it's still there, even though the place is um, ours. A miracle. At your Hanukkah miracle. Right. But it's just, it just shows you just think on your feet and you do it. And honestly, the two weeks free was huge. It was also timing. People all of a sudden started being like, what is this meditation thing? Oh, and there's a place. And and I created a really good, it was a great environment. People wanted to be in it and hang out. It was comfortable. And my goal specifically for that time in the den back then was this has to be a place that anybody feels like they can walk in. And we still, even though we're online now, that is still the goal. Like it's for everybody. That anybody, someone young, super woo-woo, a surfer should be able to walk in, a total business person like finance with like their suit on should be able to walk in. Like everyone should come in here and feel welcomed and comfortable and and that what we're doing is easy and accessible. Right. And I feel like you've done that very successfully. So. I appreciate that. But you also have to like, again, to our woo-woo part of this conversation and the flow that we started with, when you're starting something new, like, look, I've worked my ass off. Don't get me wrong. I had a lot of that masculine energy we were talking about in the beginning, the go, 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 you have to. But there was a lot of flow that was part of it. And so, for instance, I remember I was away on a trip in um, St. Lucia and I was by myself. It was such a great trip and everything was just so magical on that trip. And I remember going up and meditating and just asking the question again, you talk, you shall receive, start making friends with whatever you believe in and you will be amazed the answers you get quickly. And so I said, but in this meditation, am I supposed to be doing this? Because I'm about to put in a lot of money and a lot of energy. And if it's not what I'm supposed to be doing, it was like right before, like it was right. And I go, if this is not what I'm supposed to be doing, I need to know. And it was, Three hours later, and these two things are separate. So the guy I told you about that I the lawyer for the den's name was one person for the trademark. And then my tax guy, they don't even know each other for my account number. All of the business numbers was another. And I got in touch with them two very different times, like months apart. So it's like three hours after that meditation, the business guy texts me and he's like, hey, congratulations, your tax ID came in, you have a business. And I was like, Oh my God. And I actually remember looking up and being like, okay, but because I'm the most stubborn human in the world, I'm like, but that's a coincidence, right? I'm like, that's a coincidence. And whatever, I go along with my day. Three hours later, the lawyer calls me and goes, congratulations, the den name's been cleared. And I remember looking up again and I said, okay, I hear you. I won't look back. I'll move forward. And honestly, from that point, it was fast. And so like, there, my point is, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of human grade boots to the ground work, exhaustion, but there's a lot of paying attention to, are you in line? Is this what you're supposed to be doing? Is this the right direction? And letting it flow. And look, especially if you're starting a business, whatever it is, shit goes wrong. You've got to learn to be able to go with the flow because you got to be able to pivot in seconds. I mean, so many things. I remember our app wasn't where I was like, okay, so let's do that. Like, like I said, the window, so many things when we opened weren't ready that were supposed to be ready. And it's just like, that's okay. Let's make it work for us. Let's do this. Let's do that. You got to assume that there's a reason something's not ready. You have to assume there's a reason this isn't working. You have to let go of your ideas when they don't work. Yeah. You can't be a perfectionist. No. And you also have to know, like, I can't tell you how many of the ideas I wish I could think of I started with that I'm like, mm, clearly not as embraced, not, not, that was, you know, didn't go the way I thought. So like, 
learning this. Let's move on. If you hold on to your stuff and force stuff to work, you're not paying attention to what the universe is trying to tell you. It can be your best friend, even in the most business sense. My favorite quotation from Tina Fey's bossy pants is she's talking about Lauren Michaels. And she was saying how Lauren Michaels used to always say Saturday at 11 PM, whether you're ready or not, there's a show that is happening. So you kind of just have to put your shit out there and not overthink it because regardless time keeps moving and you have to just go with the flow and continue to iterate on top of the work that you've made. You know, you have to work with what you've got. I'm curious, can you talk a little bit about the initial capital that you had and your sources of capital to get your business started? So what was scary is I actually did it myself because I was very lucky in my business and my partner who was a writer, the two of us put it up, which look, I, there's positive and negative. So if someone's thinking about doing something like this, it was very stressful because of the pandemic. I ended up losing a lot of money. I gained a lot in return. So I'm okay. And I'm lucky I'm okay. I will say what I loved about it was I was creating a business that didn't really exist. And so what I appreciated was I could just go on gut instinct versus I felt like if I had like investors, they would be trying to find businesses to compare it to and be using those numbers to be like, you shouldn't do this. You should do this. You shouldn't do this. And I think it really would have constricted what we ended up creating. And for that, I am so grateful. There's a lot of pressure when you do it yourself though, because it's your own money And I don't care what business it is, unless it just randomly flies. You're, especially business like this, where it's a mom and pop, you've got a storefront, you're paying a lot of people. There's a lot of, you know, insurance. I mean, there's a lot happening. It was like, it became a bigger business. That's very stressful. The rewards are amazing. The creative reward is incredible. I would say as far as if I were doing it again now, I would probably raise capital or find an investor, but I'd be very specific how I did it. Because I still do, again, it depends what I was doing. The problem is you want some freedom. Like sometimes you have to take risks to make things happen and you just want to make sure you're with people that are, have the same philosophy. Do you have any other lessons that you learned along the way that you would share with anyone who's trying to start a business? I mean, again, what I just said earlier, I think a huge one is learn to let go of the strong ideas you had to start with. It's not just like, oh yeah, of course I can let go. I'm talking about the strong ideas. You may be very specific. Now, again, if you have a really gut strong thing, then you try and make it work. I mean, you do your best to make it work, but if it is not working, you pivot and you pivot fast. Now, if it's not working and you feel like, well, I still haven't done this or that different, I'm not saying give up on your ideas, but I'm saying be willing to know your idea is not a good one. Or it could be a great one. I mean, there's so many, I don't even remember whether it be certain scheduling ideas or a class idea or pricing. I mean, we changed our pricing structure so many times. We joked, sometimes I would put it out as our business got bigger, certain ideas that we would have, I would actually put it out to like our studio managers and be like, what do you think, you know, the clientele would prefer? Because you're not always matched. So always like getting to know, again, I'm speaking very specifically for this type of business, but knowing who your audience is, So what, and being honest with you may not know that. So maybe people that are working at a different level than you know that better, trust them and their opinions. Like, again, this goes back to what we started in the beginning. You, just because it's your business are no better than the person you hired to whatever it is, to wash the windows. It doesn't matter. Like they are all integral 
And it's important, I think, to know that everyone has a voice and to ask what that voice is because so often, now look, we didn't always do it and you don't always listen, but so often I, my preference would be to find out what the people, like once I wasn't behind the desk every day, it was like, well, who are the people behind the desk? I want to really hear what's going on. And you have to be open that what they tell you may be different than what you think. Yeah. I mean, I think it takes a very well-managed ego to do that. It reminds me because I studied engineering and design in college. And as part of the design program, we would do these like white space design projects and everything was about testing and iteration and asking people what they think. And so it's cool to just hear how that actually really happens. I'm like, oh, well, I guess they were right at Northwestern. Because <laughs> yeah. we always joke, we were like, this is glorified kindergarten. What the fuck are we doing here? But you want to know, like, what does your audience want? Now, here's the thing. It doesn't mean you can't come up with something new. Like, what I don't want this to be taken as is what I was saying, like, why I didn't want an investor, where they feel like because of certain numbers, like, look, when I worked in entertainment, our big thing was testing. Ugh, oh, my God. They would test every show. And then they'd be like, it's going to work. It's not going to work. You guys like testing does not work. You're showing it to the tiniest audience. There's something magical and, you know, unnameable in television or in movies that you can't test, you know, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. It's why it's a high risk business. So there is still that je ne sais quoi in any business. And again, if you have, that's what I'm saying. If you have that feeling of, I want to do this, try it, try it. You don't always like, you don't have to get, I don't want people to get stuck thinking what I'm saying is it has to be by numbers or what everyone thinks. However, also know when you may not be in touch when you come up with ideas that you may not be the one who's as in touch with what is right for your business sometimes and make sure you're constantly feet on the ground. If you can't get your hands dirty, I, okay, that's another piece of advice. I don't know if people heard, I used to always hear about the, you know, the families who would get the chains of McDonald's and they'd make their kids start from the back flipping burgers to move all the way up the chain to the corporate side and someone in the McDonald's family, something like that. And there is something to it. Like, look, when I opened up the business, it was me and my friend Amanda, and it was it. And I basically worked six to seven days a week. I was doing the front desk. I was organizing the classes. I was programming. I was cleaning. I was behind the scene. I was doing everything, everything. It was the most exhausting time of my life. Plus Levy was a newborn. It was so special, special and exhausting. And it was great. Most of the people who would come in had no clue. I was the owner because I was just the front desk person. And again, I wouldn't be like, I'm the owner. I would just be like, yeah, I work here. Unless someone specifically asked me, I didn't want them to know. I wanted it to be a regular experience. That was amazing. I knew everything. I knew the pulse, not only of our clientele, but as Years went by, even when I wasn't in that position, I knew how to do all the mind-body stuff. I knew how to help. I knew how to program. I knew the nitty-gritty of how to schedule stuff, how to move stuff. And these are like some complicated platforms. They weren't easy. They weren't intuitive. But my point is I knew it because I was the one doing it for the longest time. And I think it's so important to understand how everything actually functions because it's very easy. Because I remember I had another partner who I loved who was amazing, but she was never in the nitty-gritty. And sometimes she would you know, say things. And I was like, I know, but it just doesn't work that way. Or it's, you know what I mean? There were just things by being in it. You're like, it doesn't work that way, whether it be because of a functionality thing or because you understand the tone. I think it's really important as you're creating a business to understand how every element of it works and know how to do it yourself. It doesn't mean you have to do it all the time. Hire people eventually when you can, because you need to be free and you can't be exhausted. You don't want to burn out, but you should understand how it all works. 
Can you talk about your hiring process and how you delegate now that you're more in flow with it and the business has grown? Yes. Well, now I've really stepped away because I finally got to the point where I'm like, I want to concentrate more on teaching, but I can talk about it. Absolutely. I was way better. I hired probably earlier than most people would financially just because, and I think it helped us because like I said, I had a newborn at home too. I was dying. We start, I started small. I started more like, how can I physically have more space? So people at the front desk, and then it was a studio manager. I like to delegate. Look, I was like this in entertainment too. And I feel like anyone you'd ask agrees. I'm a macro manager. I really believe that once people understand how to do something, as long as they get to Z, I don't really care how it gets to Z. Now, look, what I learned a little bit more, what was different for me in entertainment versus here. Entertainment, I was very much, I like to find people. They don't have to really know what they're doing. I like to grow people. My favorite thing about being a manager in general is watching someone grow, evolve, and shift, which means you have to be willing to let go of people when they're ready to go, which is hard because sometimes you have someone amazing that you've groomed, but when they're ready to go and they evolve, it's amazing. As hard as that might be, my assistant's one, she's doing amazing. And I held on to her for even longer because there were so many transitions and she was lovely to give me more time, but it wasn't about not wanting to let her go. It was more about a practicality of what we were going through. So number one, hire people you feel like can be better than you are. Don't let your ego get in the way. An entertainment that would get in the way all the time, people were afraid to hire smart, creative execs under them because they didn't want to get look smarter. I'm like, please make me look dumb. Make our department amazing. Like that was always my philosophy. The wellness space, what I realized were some people needed more handholding. I was more used to this hands-off, let people do it. And I think some people didn't like that in the beginning on the other side. It was very, they wanted more specific guidance. And so then I, I switched kind of what I was doing I started becoming a little bit more micro and really helping people get through it that way. But in general, I am a hire as in someone I feel like should be able to grow out of a position. And I trust a lot of it, especially in wellness, was personality, feeling like someone who wanted to be in the space more than anything. Look, our jobs never paid great. And I knew that, you know, versus at least in entertainment, I could offer something amazing. Here I knew like, okay, I'm offering something different. These aren't the most amazing paying jobs. It's not like these people are going to retire off of this. They might even have to have another job. So I need to make it where they're getting something from the space. What can the den offer them as far as community? What can the den offer them as far as classes? So I tried to enhance the environment that way. So as far as hiring, it changed as far as the two different types of industries, but it's always like, I want the person to feel free and I want people to eventually grow and fly away. People in entertainment are constantly looking to move up. And so it might attract a hungrier employee. Do you think that has anything to do with it? With me kind of wanting people to move up and out? Or like the fact that people wanted maybe a little bit more hand-holding, whereas like in entertainment, everyone is like, let me get my shot. Yes. Yes, I do. I do. And I also think the jobs were so different. One's way more creative. And so I feel like if you stifle creativity too much, it's just not fun for anyone. So yes, I think so. And yes, it's very vertically aligned on the entertainment side. And people get too wrapped up in that. Because like I said, your vertical can topple in any moment and you have to know that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's very true. And the person that was below you could very well be your boss afterwards. And so you need to really be aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a rapid moving industry and it waits for no one. 
and it is terrifying, but very fun if you like it. (laughs) And you have to look at the, you have to let go of the terrifying. And this is what I used to tell people too. What can scare people is kind of the lack of rules. It moves so fast. But what is awesome about the entertainment industry is the lack of rules. So there's no rule of how long you have to be in a certain job before you get this or what job you can get next. You can you can like zigzag, skyrocket, go backwards. That part is really exciting. So the part that's scary, I think, can be embraced as there is freedom for me to make my mark. You just have to be confident in who you are in entertainment, confident in your ideas and know that there's really no wrong or right. People think there are. So you just have to like embrace your own, you know, creativity. Yeah. No, my thing. And, and be a hard worker. I mean, that's a huge one there. So many people aren't hard workers and they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, my favorite podcaster, Tim Ferriss talks about fear setting. And I think you were talking about this a bit earlier in different words about having trust you know, when you were moving from taking time and then starting your business and taking a path that was not very traveled by other people. Not um, at all. I think a lot of that is, could be attributed to a certain fearlessness that you might have. Do you think that's innate within you or do you think that you cultivated that? I mean, I think part of it's innate because you do see, like I see with my daughter, she holds more fear than I naturally hold. And I know she's not getting it from me or her childhood. I know it's just innately part of who she is. So I think part of it's innate for sure. I also had a mom who's fearless and she helped push that. And yeah, you know what? It's a couple things. I think it goes back to that value system you were talking about. You're never above, you're never below. I think I always felt like, what's the worst that can happen? Like, really, I, what's, it's two things, two things I've talked about in this podcast come together right here. What's the worst that can happen? Like, I lose everything and like, I, I, I know I'm friendly. I know I'm a hard worker. I could go get a job at Starbucks. I could go work at checkout at Target. And I probably do really well there and probably move up fast. Like, I will be, I can go work at a flower shop. Like, there are jobs I know I can go do. And I would probably end up, it would probably open up a whole other set of doors because I'm a hard worker. And again, work is work. Like, when are we putting this ego on what's better or worse? And I think that has given me a lot of freedom of taking risks because I knew that if it all crumbled, I'd still be okay. I was like, okay, so I now look, I have a family and kids now. It's a little different. But back then it's like, I could go live in a studio apartment back again. I have no problems with any of those things. And so that was very helpful. So that's that ego thing we were talking about. And the second thing is when I said to you guys, talk. Talk to your people, your things, your stars, whatever the hell you want to call it. Talk to them. I never, ever felt alone, ever, in making any choices. Now, it doesn't mean everything in my life goes perfectly. It doesn't mean that I'm like, oh, I'm not alone. I'm so aligned. So they take care of me. And like, I'm always, no, shit happens. And trust me, if I'm choosing the things that aren't right for me, they fail. And by the way, even in the den, which was unbelievably successful, then not successful, then successful because I have pandemic, blah, blah, blah. You learn there's failures and successes all within it. Like I've learned a ton. Nothing is easy, but I know that I'm being handed gifts all along the way. I know that these are all teaching me something because if you asked me before, if I was ever going to open up a meditation studio, I would have been like, what the fuck is that? Right? If you asked me, even when I was opening up the meditation studio, are you ever going to teach? I'd be like, absolutely not. Hell no, I'm not a teacher. Right. And now here I have clients and I'm a healer and like an energy, well, I hate saying healer, but an energy worker and a teacher, you know, and even if you asked me in college, would I be working at a television network or studio? I'd be like, I don't know. How, how do you even do that? 
these are all gifts and I'm fully aware. And part of the talking beyond you and knowing that you're connected to something more is really helpful in times like that when you want to make a shift. So I think that's a pretty nice segue because I, I really do want to talk about kind of the beginning of your career, but I'm curious before we really get into that, what advice you would give to someone who's kind of in that grind and how they should balance work versus restoration, just because that's been something that I've been dealing with recently. And I think that a lesson that I've learned is that I really have to restore or I will burn out. And Everyone will. Yeah. I'm, I feel this pressure that I have to constantly be grinding in order to grow. Yes. And I get it. And look, having been there and I grinded a lot, so I get it. I would say now with more hindsight, the number one thing is figure out what restores you because it's so easy to be like, okay, I'm going to take the walk or I'm going to take the bath or I'm going to meditate or I'm going to take a nap. Or if it's not your thing that restores you, that's not going to be helpful. So figure out what works for you. And it might be multiple things for different times, right? And you'd be surprised what doing it in small amounts can really do. I think things I wish I implemented more back then and I started to later were like even just breaks during the day, like just, you know, scheduling like a half hour to just leave your desk and go for a walk or leave your, you know, do something fun, whatever it is, just to like detach your brain from getting stuck in it, making sure you do use some of your free time for something that fulfills you. If you don't have kids, it's funny, I don't even think about this because I have a kid, but if you don't have kids, it's like, make your morning count. And I don't think getting up and necessarily working out and running on the treadmill is what I mean. Like, how can you go a little slower? Like, how can you, if you're a coffee drinker, how can you sit down and drink that coffee and chill out for a second? If you like to journal, that's a great time to like, just write out three things you're thinking about the day that you can see happening in a positive way. I, what I do because I do have a kid is if she's not waking me up, I try even in bed lying there to just breathe long and deep when I first wake up. So I'm like, okay, at least the very least I'm doing this today, you know, and I can just breathe like from the bottoms of my feet and I trace it all the way up my body and I get it up to the top and I change it. Sometimes I breathe it out of the top of my head or I'll push it back down, whatever I'm feeling. And I just do that while I'm lying there. Little things can be so instrumental to bigger change. And I, and I get it. And the reason I'm saying little things is because I've been, you guys, like, you also have to be able to work really hard, especially in entertainment, if you want to be seen and stand out, but you will burn out. And like you said, you've learned that about yourself. You have to find the little things that you can do that don't derail you completely from doing your work, but also taking time off. Like if instead of reading every single night, the scripts or whatever it is you do, taking some time off, you'll be surprised how much more effective you'll be at reading the next day. And that's what I kind of, when I went back to like that flow that now I don't stress out. Like I said, when I'm tired at night, I go to bed and I don't do everything. I feel like I have to, cause I look at my schedule the next day, trust that things will open up for the things that you have to get done. Trust like, and again, that doesn't mean you're like, oh, fuck off. I'm going to a bar. It'll all work out. No, I just mean, follow your body, follow what you need and know that when you need to stop something because you need to restore do it. it. All the stuff that you feel like has to get done will happen and it will probably happen a lot faster speed. So that's kind of my point, me getting on to this podcast with you today. I think if I stressed and was freaked out about it and thought it wouldn't happen, it probably would have taken me an hour to get everything done. But because I was like, oh, it always works out. It was within five minutes. Everything that should have, could have been an hour became five minutes. So trust the, the flow 
trust to take care of yourself. And I, I actually believe it. I'm a big fan. My favorite health app, people have asked me, what's your favorite health app is my fucking calendar. Schedule things in, make it happen for yourself. Yeah, no, me too. Definitely. It's the calendar and also sticky notes. I put sticky notes everywhere. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Before we get to the entertainment stuff, I have one more question for you. Yes, of course. But I'm curious, based on what you've just said about your personal, and I think present, I want the answer to this presently, and then also like back when you were in your 20s and grinding about kind of your intake of either plant medicines or alcohol or weed or whatever it may be. I'm just kind of curious what your usage looks like. Okay. When I was in my twenties, I had a ton of fun. I always, I was a very social drinker, loved to drink, but socially, like I found like at home, I was never drinking at home. And look, I had a job where I was out at dinner almost every night or drink. So a lot of fun, but never a problem. Lucky. I was very lucky because some people have a problem. Never a smoker, not once, never smoked a cigarette in my life. I think I knew I'd be addicted. So I just never went there. Pot dabbled. It was never my thing. Everybody I've ever dated or have been with have been huge potheads, which is what's hilarious about it. It's just not, I like it. And like I would do it if it were around. This is all my 20s and some drugs here and there for fun. You have to remember when my 20s, ayahuasca wasn't as known or easier accessible. I probably for sure would have done ayahuasca because that would have absolutely matched like my spiritual side and knowing where I was in my life back then. But on mushrooms a few times had a great, great few spiritual moments because that'll do it. I would say now in my life, look, I'm a mom, I'm tired, I'm older, I, I'm way cleaner. So I barely drink. I still drink. Don't get me wrong. I love wine. That's pretty much what I drink now. But I mean, I've gone years without it. Like I went like two plus years without it, not because I was trying to, just because I was like, Meh. so I'm really pointed of when I do it. And it better be a really beautiful glass of wine because I, I'm not, my point is I don't drink to drink anymore at all. And it wasn't a big, it wasn't this big thing. I had, I have had some stuff going on and I wanted to clean up for a week. I was like, let me just not drink this week. And then I just started checking in with myself like, well, do I want to drink or am I just drinking to drink? And just by asking that question, two years went by. And then in two years, there were a few moments where I'm like, oh, I think I want to drink. Like, I think it'd be so lovely. I want to sit on the dock and have a glass of rosé with my friend. And I'm like, well, then you do that. It's now really checking in with myself. Do I want to? Or is it just a thing? Frankly, I should start doing that with like sugar. But <laughs> so I drink, but not a lot. And that's pretty much it. Plant medicines, like, look, I'm all for herbs. I'm all for everything. I'm not great at ingesting anything regularly. This is my honest truth. This is my shadow. Like the supplements I should be taking, I have them. I have them all lined up. I'm horrible at taking them every day. So it's the same thing with anything. I love plant medicine. It's just, this is my Achilles heel. Like when it comes to taking care of myself and ingesting something, I am not great at it. And as far as like ayahuasca and those type of plants, I've actually never done ayahuasca. I need to. It's just as a mom, it's like, I need the time to be able to go. It's just a whole different experience now. Ayahuasca is something that has to like deeply call you. Yeah. When you're supposed to do it, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And it's also like, I was like, and look, if I'm going to do it, I want the space to do it. And so it's that like, but I'm all for it. Look, I look at anyone I have. I know people who are like, oh my God, I do ayahuasca every couple months. I'm like, you should pay attention to that. Anything I feel like that you're relying on too heavily, as beautiful as it may be, 
check. Like I'm a big believer that you really just need yourself and you have a lot of the answers. And if you become too out of balance in any way, even though you convince yourself this part of being out of balance is something brilliant for yourself, check why are you leaning so heavily into it? So again, all for ayahuasca. But like I said, if someone's constantly doing it, it's like the answers are there. You don't need to go on a million, you know, crazy revelatory trips, like having it to give you some answers incredible. But at that point, you probably got the answers you need. Do the work from there. Don't be afraid of the work. Yeah, no, I had an experience where I was walking on the beach with some friends. This was the second time that I went back to Costa Rica. And this woman was like in this all white outfit, she looked like she was coming out of the forest in this very magical way. And it was sunset on the beach, low tide, super magical scene. She walks up to us and she was like asking us directions. And we were like, where are you coming from? Whatever. And she was saying that she came from an ayahuasca trip. And she was at, I think the Blue Spirit Resort maybe in Costa Rica. And they like do these guided trips. And she was saying that she was just out of a divorce and she was just looking for answers. And she was like, what I gained is that I don't know. And that's okay. And I was like, rock on lady. <laughs> that's exactly right. It's like, we don't have all the answers because some of them you're not ready to have. And you have to do the work to get to them. And no matter how many answers, like, look, I love a psychic, like nobody. I mean, I love it. But it's like, if you're going to psychic every answer, you're missing the whole point. Like we have the answers within us. And the work, the strengthening, all that comes from you. I mean, this is why I always say in my classes, you know, the minute you start working with anyone who pretends to be the guru or pretends to be the person you need in order to get better, walk away, like walk away. You have all the answers, like find a teacher who reminds you that you are the strength. You are the one who already knows it and maybe helps guide you to figure out how to access it again because you might be so detached, but you're the one who's got it all. And so that's my point. You don't need to have ayahuasca every single day. You don't need all of those things. But yes, obviously learning to take care of ourselves and cleaning ourselves up is fantastic and amazing, but just check yourself, watch where you're leaning to. Even in the spiritual journey, I laugh, like whenever someone starts and like used to come to the den, there's a high that starts in the beginning because it's like something cracks open, which is amazing. But in the beginning, it usually becomes this like, I have all the answers now, you know, and I kind of wait, I'm like three, two, one until it gets hard. And then all of a sudden, the answers aren't so fun and they have to start doing the work. And it's one of two things, either the person continues, which is great, or they they're done because the high is gone, but you still have to do the work. Like you have to look, go inward to your own self and start picking apart those shadows that we were talking about. Yeah. I feel like so much of the journey is just learning to float through the unknown. Absolutely. I'm personally curious because my friend and I have been talking about going to a psychic and my only experience with this is like paying $5 for some shitty psychic in a second floor of an apartment in Evanston. What have your experiences with that? What well, look, again, is it worth my $100 if she says it's a really good one? <laughs> I mean, I have good people if you want to go. I will say this, though. I, I like, I feel like people... I feel like psychics are better for people who actually, it's funny because this is going to sound almost counterintuitive, have really done some work because you have to be able, first of all, look, I'm a big quantum time person. So a psychic can only look into one timeline. So that's why not everything they say, it's like, that's why if someone's like, oh my God, there's a man named John and he's wearing blue, blah, blah, blah. It's like, it, 
things can, there's so many timelines and you're switching them all the time. You know, my, my future could have gone 25 different ways and it doesn't mean it either would be bad or good. It's like, there's all these possibilities. So they can, like a good psychic will go into a timeline and give you information, but it is one timeline and you may switch timelines. And it's some one Q84 shit. Have you read that book? It's Haruki. No, but I would probably love it then. Cause I love all this. Yeah, shit. That's the shit I love. It's like kind of sci-fi vibe. It's good. Love it. I love all of that. I always say, if you want to talk aliens and crap, I'm in and like timelines all for it. And it's kind of like a lot of the stuff we talk about in the journey of the medicine wheel too. But it's, if it's just, sometimes we need something to just make ourselves feel better in the moment. You know what I mean? It's a good psychic will push you to still know that you have the choice to make your own answers and to make your own life happen. And that's what's important. And that's why I almost say it's got to be someone where you know your own center so that you're not like flip-flopping because of something someone says, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, it, it, but we all have the abilities. Like we all have the psychic abilities. Some people's are just really honed a lot better. So when you're intuitive, I'm sure there's plenty of moments in your own life where you're like, I knew that. I knew that was going to happen. It's the same shit. It's just yeah. some people know how to like really tune yeah. in the dial. Okay. Now, now. <laughs> you're here because you were an entertainment lady. <laughs> Done. Let's do it. Let's talk entertainment. Can you kind of plot out your career path from graduating college and navigating those jobs in those early days and having <laughs> sort of blind faith that you were going to get to where you wanted to go. Yeah. I applied to everything out of college. I was not sure what I wanted to do. One of the jobs being at the real world, like a PA, and that would have been in LA. I was a buyer for Bloomingdale's, paralegal for some really big law firms. I was really lucky. I got a lot of amazing job offers, but I was like, eh, eh. And then the two I ended up really choosing between were teaching English in Japan and I, the PA job at, and it's funny because I interviewed for it and they never told me. And I got the Japan one and had to let them know. And I was like, hey, did I need to know? And so then I chose, I would say that was my Robert Frost moment. Were you networking and reaching out to people and trying to figure it out by talking to people? Or were you just like, kind of, I was pretty lucky. Like I went to Tufts. We had, you know, I was, I took advantage of like, how did we do it? Like, you know, any job fairs that they had, like I took advantage of it. And I just knew, I feel like back then, I don't, I feel like jobs might've been easier back then, to be honest. I feel like it was a different world. But I remember just being like, what are all the things that I might find interesting? And no, I wasn't really networking because I didn't know. I just knew I didn't want to go directly to law school. I think I thought that's what I was going to do. So it was more like, I, so to me, there wasn't too, too much pressure because it was almost like, this is going to be a year or two of fun. And then, and honestly, the paralegaling, which is why I kind of ended up saying no. I was like, I, I justified, I was like, teaching English in Japan will still be good for law school. And I thought if I was going to do law, I'd be like, I'll be an entertainment lawyer. So, you know, PAing for a year or two is also justifiable. And I'm so glad I didn't do law school. But anyway, I went to LA. I was a P, I think the week before I was supposed to start as a PA, they called me and they're like, you know what? We have a job that just opened up in this department, which was like a product placement department. But what you need to know, this guy, he and I did not get along, but what he was genius at, he created it. There was no product placement back then. Real World was the only reality show on. Survivor didn't exist yet. Survivor kind of it was a big deal when Survivor kind of copied the real world and real rules. This was the only reality show on. And so he kind of really created this 
department. And it was like a free for all. And they were like, he, he needs help. So we thought it might be fun for you to start in there. They were like, in a way, you're almost getting a promotion before you start. I'm like, great. I mean, it was a baby job. The guy was great in the beginning. And, but what I learned politically, he had a lot of beef with the, the EP of Real World, who's now gone on to do amazing things. And he just wanted to have more time on set, this guy who ran the product placement department. He wanted to be on set more. And this Real World guy would not let him do it. And so he had like, which I didn't know, I guess they didn't like each other. So it's like my second week of work, not even, I'm fresh out of college. And this producer comes back and he's like, we need to start, you know, ramping up for real world Hawaii. We need to start doing that. And so, and at this point I was finishing up a road rules for them. So he was like, this is when you sat down and you actually would meet, like, what does the show need? Blah, blah, blah. So my boss is supposed to go meet with him. And he's like, you go meet with him. And I was like, wait, what? I mean, like I'm two weeks into the job. I don't know anything. He's like, yeah, you go meet with him. Now, by the way, if I were older and had been in work more, I would have seen what was going on, but I didn't see it. Yeah. I was like, okay. He was like, just take notes. I'm like, all right. And so look, I'm intuitive enough to know. I went down to the office the guy was taking up when he was there and I knock. I'm like, hi, I'm here for the meeting. He's like, well, where's Todd? And I'm like, oh, he told me to come and I'll never forget this. Basically, I was watching the two of them. Beef. Beef. He basically looked at me for a moment, took a breath. He was like, okay, sit down. And I could tell, I was like, but I was like, I'm just going to do my job. And I sat down and he was basically like, this is what we need, blah, blah, blah. And I took notes, blah, 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 blah. So I come back and I think Todd was very surprised that the meeting actually happened and he didn't get called. Long story short, I'll tighten it. Todd just kept putting it off to make me do it because he was he was waiting basically for the guy to collapse and be like, we need you. We need you. What are you doing? But what ended up happening is I learned on the job. I taught myself how to do it. I got every deal they needed plus some deals that had never been made. Like I got the first airline deal ever. I did deals with like Duracell. So they provided all the batteries for the entire set. I got a phone deal with Sprint, like crazy deals. By the way, and I look back, because now this is such a department, we used to just hand like a piece of paper, you'd sign one signature. I mean, it was so funny. It was such a fun job. And so Todd, got, and then what happened was when they went to Hawaii to start, the the EP calls me and goes, hey, we have a plane ticket for you. We need you here. We think because of the time difference, it'll be easier for you to work from here. So you're going to move here for the next you know, five months or six months. Which, by the way, I had just moved to LA. So it wasn't like I was, even though Hawaii would be amazing. I knew nobody in LA. I was just getting roots. Yeah. But Todd heard it because it was night. It was late at night. I remember the sun had gone down and I, I hung up the phone. I go, oh, he wants me to move. I'm moving to Hawaii tomorrow. He goes, no, you're fucking not. And he marched right to Mary Alice and John Murray's Todd's <laughs> office and basically tried to, but my point is my first job was very tumultuous he was very mean to me. And even before this moment, because he knew I was doing well, like really mean to me. And like things like, I remember calling my mom being like, and I just politically didn't understand how to handle it. And it got to the point where he was trying to get me fired. I mean, we had to have human resources meetings. They, I would sit there and he would be like berating me. And finally he was like, she doesn't respect me. And, and I was like, and they were like, well, do you respect him? And I was like, I don't remember what I said. I'm like, not when he fucking talks to me this way. And he was like, and he was like, see, and I have to say the human resources woman who then became my best, one of my best friends was like, well, Todd, I have to say, like, I've been listening to this. If you treated me the way you're treating her, I wouldn't respect you either. I mean, it was 
whatever. I ended up then moving to the production department. He basically got me fired from that department, but they loved me. So it wasn't like a firing, but they, he was the king. So they moved me to, so I ended up like being a production assistant and working on a, a pilot in Detroit, which by the way, was one of the best things because I learned so much, but that boss knew I was looking, I was like, I'm going to be looking. I'm not, this is not what I want to do. He's like, I get it. And he knew what had happened. So he knew, and he was a very hard boss to work for. And he and I got along great. So that also gave, curried me a lot of favor. And then I ended up getting a job at NBC studios as an assistant again, randomly. Again, I knew nobody. I sent my resume out and the head of MTV, like the head of MTV real reality calls me and he's like, Hey, are you applying for a job at NBC studios? And I was like, yeah, I did. He's like, I'm friends. She used to, I'm friends with the person who you applied to be their assistant. She called me because she saw your resume. You were at the real world. Now, by the way, again, this happens to be the guy at MTV. So the fact that I had a good relationship with him was amazing because it wasn't even in my, so it just proves to you again, treat everyone nicely. You don't know where this shit happens. He was like, well, do you want it? And I was like, Sure. Like basically he helped me get that job. So then I ended up on a desk at NBC studios. I fucking hated it so much. I wasn't cut out for it. I wasn't great. I didn't understand what the studio was doing, which honestly at the time in hindsight, the NBC studios did nothing. It was just feeding the network. So the network was making all the decisions. So I didn't quite, my poor boss, I love her. She and I still keep in touch. She was always, she would, I'd have meetings with her where she's like, you're too smart. You should be better than this. You're, and I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. I just was not doing great at that job and I was not happy. And so then I was ready to leave the business and I was applying to vet schools, possibly. I was thinking about going, I was just like across the board. I even like got offered a PR job somewhere, whatever. And then a, a friend of mine who I knew who was a brother of someone who was at the real world, he had just, he'd been working at 20th Century Fox on a desk. There'd been an executive who was looking for an assistant. It was a very popular job. Everyone was going up for it. No one, I guess, had gotten it. I never would have put myself up for it because I felt supremely unqualified. I did not go to a school with entertainment. I felt like I did not know anything about writers, directors, anything. So I was like, I, and I think I learned that when I was at NBC Studios. I was like, I am not qualified. So my friend, I was on the phone with him talking about this. He's like, yeah, you should really apply for this job. I'm like, no, 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 no. And I was trying to say no, but I guess that boss had walked in and he hang, he gets back on the phone. He goes, he's going to meet you Monday. It was Friday. He's going to meet you Monday at nine. You're the last person he's meeting. He really wants to make a decision. I'm sending you scripts to cover. I'll get it all to you. And I was like, I just, and I was like, fuck. And so basically I spent that weekend covering script. Well, first I had friends in town, so I didn't even start doing it till later, but I had to cover scripts. I didn't sleep. I had to go to Kinko's to print out all my coverage in the morning at six o'clock in the morning before I drove. And I remember driving through the gates of 20th Century Fox and just saying, do not embarrass Mikey. That is your goal of this. Do not embarrass him. Like, and, and then I, by the time I drove back to my desk in MAC studios, I got the job offer. And I think I was telling you this, I took it. And the reason I took it yeah. is that guy fought for me. They, it was a pay cut. And look, I was an assistant. I wasn't making a lot of money. It was a pay cut. I was losing insurance. This is a good lesson for everyone. I was losing insurance. I was losing, basically it was nothing. I mean, it was everything that you don't want. Right. And it took like two weeks because this guy just kept fighting to get me more and get me more and get me more. And he could only get me like a smidge more. And he said to me on the phone, he's like, I'm sorry. And I get it. Like, I get that you might not be able to take this job. You're going to be great, whatever you do. And don't worry if you can't take it. And something again, it's that feeling. Something in me was like, you want to work for this guy. Work for good people. Don't work for who you think you're supposed to work for. And I said right away, I'm like, I'll do it. He's like, really? 
best job I ever had. I was on his desk less than a year when I got all the agents were pushing me for executive jobs and I was young and I got both executive jobs I went up for and I, I credit it all to this guy. He was an amazing boss. I did so much. I was doing all the coverage. He started reading, write, meeting writers only if I read them and liked them. Agents started using me as if I was an executive all because of this guy. He was so amazing, so supportive, so smart. He taught me how to be in the entertainment industry without giving a shit. He taught me how to be in the entertainment industry, just doing what you loved, being creative. And it changed my whole perspective on the business. And it went from me being like, this thing seems so shallow and annoying. And like, people just like trying to be to like, oh, this is the job. It's creative. It's brilliant. It's fun. It's like you dig in the character. There's an art to it, you know? There's an art to it. And he taught me that. And he taught me that and he allowed me to do it as an assistant. And I'll never forget. And that really pushed me. And before I know it, then at 24, 25, I don't remember, I then was an executive, which is young. And all because I really do attribute it to him. And I attribute it to, and I will tell you guys this, this idea of I took the job, even though here I was an assistant on the NBC studios desk. He was an executive at 20th Century Fox, but he and his boss, who used to run 20th Century Fox comedy, were moving to become producers for 20th Century Fox. Back then, people did not do that. It was rare. So it was kind of looked upon like whatever. So my point is, if anyone was looking and saying, oh, you have an assistant job for that or an assistant job on the NBC studios, people would be like, stay at NBC studios. That feels like a much bigger job. And I was like, fuck it. I'm going less money, no health insurance for a job that appears to be less than, not as exposed. And that's what I'm taking because there's something about working for this guy that my body is telling me to do. And I did it. And not only that, I got way more experience, learned so much. All of a sudden, agents were using me as an executive, hence how I got an executive job because they pushed me to it because of that job. So it's not always what it looks like. You have to follow your gut and go to the places you actually think you might learn and be exposed in doing the job you want. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the number one things that I've learned is about using techniques to connect with my body and say, like, what am I supposed to be doing? And mm -hmm. looking for that kind of whole body, yes. I'm really curious if you can dig into what an exec actually does, because I think people hear that term a lot and it's sort of, it sounds fancy and big, but I'm also just genuinely curious, like, what did you do in that job? <laughs> I mean, I loved my job and look on the network side and studio side, it was slightly different. If you're selling or buying, it's slightly different, but at the core, you're kind of at the creative head. So you're working with writers, actors, producers, depending and you together, either you're giving them an idea, they come in with an idea already, you are then taking an idea from a nugget of an idea and with them developing it into a show. And that's so much fun. So, you know, whether again, they come in with a pitched idea already, or sometimes we're like, oh, I want to do a show like this. Let's package it. Let's find the writer who's going to be great at it. And this actor would be brilliant. Whichever direction or angle it starts at, you're then working together to really, how can we flesh out these characters? How can we make them great? What is everything we can do to make this show have the best chance possible that it's already got so much depth before it goes? So character-wise, story-wise, what's that perfect pilot to get people hooked? Now, it's slightly different now because so many are streamers, so you're doing almost a season. So it would probably be like, what is that first season arc versus what's the pilot? And really working together. And back then, again, it was more seasonal because 
we had pilot season. So you really were working towards developing all these scripts to get them to when you had to pick them up and you were manning the whole thing. So then once it got to then working with your bosses above or New York, whoever's in charge to figure out what out of these 80 scripts we've just worked on, are we picking which 10, which five, which 13 are we going to make in a pilot? And then once pilot starts, you're again, you're manning it again. You have a producer on board now and you probably get casting agent, but you're running all of it, making sure it's all running at the right time and working with casting. You're in the casting rooms, casting, working with production to make sure price wise and everything it's where we need to be. Um, the look wise, it's what we need. Go ahead. And NBC is the one is the capital behind all of this, correct? Well, it depends what job NBC, when I was an NBC exec for NBC, then yes, you're the, you're the network. So you're buying it, you're producing it, you're spending the money. When I was at Sony, which I love that job, the studio side, we sold to everyone. So depending what show got picked up where. So if my show was at ABC, ABC was, you were then providing to them. So I, that's why I said the studio side's more creative a little bit because you really start from the beginning. And I, lo- and I love it. And you're really, really close to the creative team. You're really close to the writers. You're their main support. You're their main advocate from the business side to the production side, to the talent side, to the creative. I loved it because like I said, it was like producing, but deeply creative. And one of my favorite parts was when you're getting your scripts and you're just like, oh my God, I see exactly how we can make this better. And you can work with a writer to get that. And I don't even want to say that. Usually it's like, hey, their vision of how I know they want it isn't quite clear on here. And I know that they have it in them because they pitched it. So how can we work together to mine it out? Like that to me is so fun. It's like anything. It's like when you walk into a house sometimes and has amazing bones and you can see the full potential. It's that same thing. It's like, how do you make it exactly what you want it to be? It seems like there could be potential for great synergy between writers and execs. And I also think at times you often hear that people are like, ah, fuck the studio notes. Like we're going to do what we want to do. I think a big, oh, go ahead. No. And I'm just kind of curious what your experience is with that. Well, look, I, I'm sure there were plenty of times writers were pissed at me. However, I pride myself that I had a very good relationship with writers Um, And part of it was, I was very honest. So I never dragged people through the mud. Like I was very honest with where something stood, which is hard to do. You know, I could be like, they don't like it. They don't like it up top. I don't know what to tell you. Like, so there wasn't any surprises. B, my goal always was, sometimes it was successful, sometimes it wasn't. But my goal always was, I never want you to write something that you don't believe in. So here's what is missing for us how do you feel like the goal is like, how can we work together to get to where we want? And like I just said before, usually it was like, this is something that was already pitched and is an idea in your head. It's not quite coming clear. How can we really mine it? So I I think what I hopefully did, and I know other executives who are like this too, you're like the writer's friend. Your goal is to work through their ideas, not put shit on them or not make them all of a sudden do shows that they didn't want to do in the first place. It's like, how can you be their advocate and just be fresh eyes for them and be like maybe a creative voice that sometimes you just need another voice or something to bounce ideas off of? Or like I said, here's a ton of ideas. Hopefully it'll spur what's right for you to do. You know what I mean? So there's there's creative execs who are creative and then there's creative execs who aren't creative. And that's where you'll find it. When you get the creative execs that aren't creative, it is very tumultuous. It's strenuous because they say really stupid shit. And not that I haven't said stupid shit. I've said plenty, trust me. When you're in a 
when you're in the creative role, you say stupid I shit. You all. can't not, but you all do. And you can't not, but there's some who that's more their norm. And then there's some who creatively have a better norm. You'll know there's, as you get higher level, you'll start to realize there's executives out there who are known for being like creative allies. And who are some of your favorite writers that you had the opportunity to work with or the favorite, so, favorite shows? So many. Well, you know, Happy Endings was one of my babies. And I'd say, I'd say, yeah, Happy Endings and I'd say The Big C are probably the two most proud of. Having been in comedy during that time before streamers, it was very difficult. Very few shows lasted long. So it's like, people are like, what shows did you work on that I knew? I'm like, nothing anymore. But I would say Happy Endings was a baby that I loved and I still love. And David Cass was phenomenal. And The Big C, which was more dramatic. It was a half hour on Showtime, which was a show about cancer with Laura Linney. And she actually, she's unbelievable that I'm very proud of. Those are, look, I'm proud of so much stuff I did, but those are two that really stand out. Well, Tall, you have donated so much of your time to me this morning and I'm so grateful. Pleasure. Before we break, I have two more questions. Okay. Uh, can you just say two things that you're grateful for? Oh, yeah. I mean, I have so many. I mean, I almost tear up when I say that. I'm really, really grateful for, I don't even know where to begin because the list is so fucking long. I, I am really grateful, I would say, for my relationship and my family. I'd say Alec is amazing and he has constantly challenged me to go deeper in myself and he and I have not always been perfect. And I, I'm very grateful for how much we've been willing to always evolve and try and learn more about ourselves so that we can be stronger. And that's beautiful because I find, I know I've developed a lot through that. And I'm really just grateful. I feel very lucky. I'm grateful for all the twists and turns that I've had and my experiences with everything we just talked about. I'm probably grateful for all the people I have met that have really helped me out along the way because I've just... There's so many people that have been part of every single part of my career, the good, the bad, the twists, the turns, starting something new that have helped me in little ways, big ways. And that I'm so grateful that I've had so many people that have been willing to do that. Okay. I'm obviously, I mean, you've been sitting with me for an hour 45. You know that I'm very quick to add in new questions. How did you and Alec meet? <laughs> well, you know, we first met a long time ago when I was a baby exec at the WB for those of you who don't know, because you're young, the WB was a network that was like Felicity, Dawson's Creek, all those fun things that kind of then turned into CW. He was a baby writer with his partner at the time. And he just came in for a meeting. I mean, nothing. It was nothing. I remember my boss being like, they were so cute. And he says, he always says that his partner was like, oh, she is, you're like perfect for you. And I think he was with his girlfriend there or whatever. I don't, that was so long ago. We re-met at a bar weirdly enough, in LA when I was at NBC. We were met at a bar. as And he was a writer I'd been tracking for a long time, but he was un constantly unavailable because he was on Family Guy. So when I saw him, it was like, oh my God, how funny. We hadn't seen each other in years. So it's actually not that exciting of a story. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's always just interesting to me. And now for the final question, can you uh -oh. have one big fuck you? It can be to anything. <laughs> I will say, yes, I'm not a big fuck youer because I end up, I will say, the, I will go back to a moment. I felt the fuck you, but I don't feel it anymore because um, you will see the more you do your practice, you have less of those. You just do. You're just like, that's ah, not even worth it. You know what I mean? You just kind of move and pivot. However, 
since I started this story, this was a good fuck you. So I, I told you guys the story about my first job and how I was really lucky. I did very well in it. And he was not happy. And he like made my life miserable. And then basically got me fired from that job, which was a blessing, right? Because I ended up being an assistant and then getting into the creative space, which these were totally unaligned, separate job, like job things. So I never would have ended up at NBC, which then eventually would have ended up being an executive if that didn't happen. But he was so traumatic about it. So when I was on my desk at NBC Studios, which I didn't even like, remember, I didn't like that job, the Buna Murray called and basically were like, he's been a disaster. I think his ego just got too much of him, as we can tell from the stories I was telling you. You want to get rid of him. They want you back. They want you to run the department. You come in and you do it. And now don't forget, I'm at an assistant level job. I'm making shit money. I'm making better money at the NBC you know, studios job, but it's still not a lot of money. Basically, they were like, we'll pay you whatever you want. You come run the department, blah, blah, blah. And like, I got to the point where the number was really nice. It would have been a job I know I love. I would have been great at it. I've been running the department, which isn't heard of it that. And I came so close to taking it and I realized, so it wasn't quite a fuck you, but it was a fuck you was real. I realized I only was taking that job so I could have a fuck you because all I kept thinking about was the day I got to walk in there and basically be like, fuck off, Todd, look what happened. I now have your job. That's epic. (laughs) But to my point of not doing the fuck yous, I'm so grateful that I realized that the fuck you wasn't worth it. Even though, let me remind you, I had nothing. At that point, I'm like, what do I want to do with my life? Something in me was like, yes, I'm really just taking this to say, fuck you. I have to trust that this is going to work out. And look, I remember my mom, some point around then was like, are you sure you don't want to come back and go to grad school? Like, shouldn't you be like really securing something? Yeah. And I remember saying, mom, I don't know why, but I think I can do this. I think it'll be okay. So you just have to believe in yourself. I think that is a great note to end on. Tal, thank you so much for all of your time. And thank you. Enjoy the rest of your ski trip. <laughs> I have to go get my passes since I forgot them. See, we're not perfect, right? <laughs> oh. All right. Well, thank you all. Thank you so much. This was great. And I appreciate it. If you enjoyed this conversation with Tal Rabinowitz, you should go check her out at The Den Talks. That's her podcast. You can find it anywhere that you can get a podcast. Or you should reach out to her directly through the Den Meditation website or her personal website, guidedbytal.com. Tal is T-A-L. And if this episode was particularly helpful, I would love to hear from you too. You can reach out to me over Instagram, uh, the Big Fu Podcast. I think that's or the Big Fu Show. I don't know, you guys. I'm on Instagram, um, and I want to hear from you. Thank you guys for listening to the Big Fu. Have a great week. Bye. Ah!